Hey, good morning again. Somebody help me say thank you to this worship team. Our prayer workers, everybody who helps make Heritage happen, we're so grateful for them. Most of what we know from the words of Jesus are in the Gospels. And, they're, and we're pretty familiar with them. Folks are relatively familiar with them. We, we've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, most folks have heard of a parable and might even be able to summarize uh, a parable. In fact, a lot of the words of Jesus have, have saturated popular culture and people don't even know that they're, they're using them. Or they do know that they're using them and they're using them to proof text their own soapbox or, you know, big idea or whatever. But here's a question. What if we had a follow-up with Jesus? What if, yeah, like what if a few decades after his resurrection, after his ascension, after Pentecost, after his followers made more followers, after his church became churches, What if we could hear what he thought? What if, what if we could hear what mattered to him? What if the boss came back to check in with us? Well, somewhere between 35 and 65 years after Christ's ascension. Now, you might think, well, that's a pretty big gap. No, it's not. Not in 2,000 years. It's a, it's a blip. There's a little bit of a debate, and it's only important if we want to debate about whether the temple was up or down or only halfway down, and whether or not, and whether or not uh, who, the, who the emperor was. We'll get there when it matters. But a few decades after Christ's ascension, his beloved friend and aging and loyal disciple, John, was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, and he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. And he wrote about it. And in this encounter, John had visions of history unfolding. He saw heaven and earth moving toward the end of the age. He saw the throne room of heaven. He saw the judgment seat of Christ. He saw the final place of judgment for all humanity. And he saw the salvation and reward of the church. He saw all of this and he wrote about it. And here's why he wrote. Now he didn't, we, we, we only know this from studying the text, but here's three big reasons why he wrote. And we're pausing to emphasize this because regardless of your familiarity with the book of Revelation. You may have read it a certain way, you, have, you may have studied it a certain way, you may have taught it a certain way, and some of the things that we are about to embark on and discover and explore may, 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 may hit just outside of the margins of your familiarity, and that's okay, because here's why John wrote, and here's what we're going to emphasize nearly every week. He wrote to steal the church's resolve in the midst of persecution. He wrote to strengthen their resistance 
to compromise. And he wrote to comfort and encourage the church with these primary ideas. Number one, eternity is real and is trying to get your attention. Secondly, Jesus Christ is Lord over all. He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords and He is coming again. Thirdly, we should live like it. Eternity is real. Jesus is coming and we should live like it. It might be fun. Can we just say those three sentences? Try them with me. Ready? Eternity is real. Jesus is coming and we should live like it. So open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Before we study what it is that Jesus said, we need to come to terms afresh. (laughs) If I could reach in my heart and kind of just wrestle you with my emotions. We need to come to terms afresh with the one who has something to say. Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, parenthetically, this is how we're going to go through it. We're going to go through it and try to go through it in real time and respond to it in real time as if we were reading it for the first time. Fair enough? All right, there's our methodology. (laughs) Okay. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon happen. And he indicated this by sending it through his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God, and to the witness of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is about Jesus. Jesus is the subject of this book. He is the focus. Not not horses, not bulls. You can keep going. Not not horses, not bulls, not even trumpets, not dragons, not harlots, not Putin. (laughs) No, keeping an eye on that guy. Look, all these things are in the book and they have meaning, but their meaning revolves around the central figure of Jesus Christ. If you skip this, if you miss this, then you're just playing fantasy football with Scripture. <laughs> this, this church. This book is for his bondservants. It is written to those who have willingly submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and made him their Lord. And it is to show them the things which must soon take place. Now, soon communicates urgency to the reader. Somebody said urgency. Urgency. Not everything in this message will happen soon in the way that we understand time. But it means this, that the time has come for the end to begin. So then the reader responds or should respond with care and with readiness and worship. In verse 3, 
There's another good part. I keep saying, here's the good part, but here's another good, good part. Verse three says this, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. Good news. Everybody who reads this, that's y'all, and everybody who hears it, that's y'all, and everybody who keeps it, heeds it, responds to it, will be blessed. We'll be blessed. This, I mean, among, the, look, there's lots of good stuff. The Bible is clear about how wonderful it is, but here's a unique text that promises the reader and the hearer and the keeper that if we'll do this, that this will bless us. How many want to be blessed? Well, I've got good news. We're going to be in this for a good year. Should be a really good year in front of you. It's going to take a year. We've got, we got to stop to sing about the manger and maybe Jesus, and then we'll come back and we'll do this again. There is a special promise of blessedness, of favorable circumstance that will accompany those who hear this and read this and keep this. Why? Because the time is near. Because from heaven's, heaven's perspective is urgent. And the one who shares that urgency with heaven will be blessed. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches who are in Asia, grace to you and peace from the one who is and who was and it is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is addressed to the, the seven churches in Asia. Hey, Dav, yeah, aren't there more than seven churches in Asia? Yeah, huh? They're, huh? But these are written to seven specific churches who will become representative and exemplary uh, for the rest of, for all the churches. And this is, and to them he says, grace and peace to you from him who was and is and is to come. This is a paraphrase of the divine name, Yahweh, I am. And from the seven spirits, that is not seven distinct spirits. This is not, not the seven dwarves. This is not seven separate things. This is the Spirit of God. Say it out loud with me. The Spirit of God expressed by the number seven to indicate fullness and perfection and the fullness of ministry. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2 calls him the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he is, this is who this is from. He is the faithful witness. Somebody said faithful witness. Listen, how is he the faithful witness? Because just by his existence, he testifies to his own victory and to truth. He is the firstborn among the dead. Christ rose from the dead as the first with many to follow. Because he lives, you too shall live. Because he lives, death is not final. Death is not final. Hear this book tell us, death is not final. Because he lives, life is final. He, because he has the last word, so does life. And he is the ruler of all the kings of the earth, even over the tyrannical, murderous, oppressive, worshipped by many Caesars of Rome. Imagine hearing this in the first century audience, surrounded by tyranny and oppression and chaos. 
that none of those people are actually in charge. Jesus is king over all. In any age, in every age, our allegiance is to this king. To him, verse 5 continues, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. He loves us and has released us from our sins. Are you, this isn't a contrast, it's a compliment, but it, it feels overwhelming. The king and ruler over all who loves us and has released us from our sins. Our sin no longer has any stain, any right, any claim to our lives because of this Jesus. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. He has given us royal and righteous identity and destiny. And to him be glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming. <laughs> I'm glad my mom's here. I knew I could get one out of her today. I pray that's the immediate eruption of all of our hearts when we hear that phrase. Behold, he is coming. And if that doesn't send a Mufasa chill up your spine, it should. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Yes, amen. He is coming. This is the message of the book of Revelation. It's the message of the gospel. It's our blessed hope. This is everything. He is coming. But not in a manger, not in a stable, and not in secret. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, those who rejected him, those who persecuted him, and who persecute, if we're, if we're reading this, those who are persecuting his church. We will see in this text that God takes it very personally when people persecute his church. And then it says, every tribe will mourn. I would like to say that this is a, a corporate repentance, and I, I hope that that will happen. But in this text, it's likely far more ominous. It means that when Christ returns, the reaction of people from every walk of life who have rejected him will be mourning. Among all the great messages of this book, let it call your heart right now and those who are watching do not reject the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves us. He has released us from our sins by his blood. He is king over all. There is no vote. It's settled. Our response is to surrender to the reign of his grace and his love, his mercy in our life, or to reject him. Verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. John pauses to relay what he hears from this one who is coming. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He is the beginning and he is the goal. And he is the Almighty. John, verse 9, I, John, your brother 
This is pretty important. All these things are pretty important. All right, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the witness of Jesus Christ. John, he says, John, I'm your brother and I am your fellow partaker in three things. In tribulation, someone say that out loud. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Sorry, I all the funny things I want to say. Okay, uh, tribulation and kingdom and perseverance. When John was writing, he was writing from a time of great tribulation. Some folks ask me, has the tribulation started yet? I'll say, well, it looks like it started right there. It's already past tense. John said, I'm with you in tribulation. Tribulation is persecution and resistance and all of the, all of the contrary forces that come against the name of Jesus and, is, and felt by his church. That's tribulation. And they were in the midst of it. And then there is the kingdom. What does he mean by the kingdom? This is the life and the power, the joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit, the prevailing sense of God's presence, his, his activity in our life, our awareness of his work, our joy, our song, our prayer, our work the expansion of Christ's authority is happening at the same time as tribulation. Tribulation's happening and kingdom's happening. And in the middle, we persevere. This is our perseverance. We endure tribulation and we exercise and experience kingdom and we keep going. John says, I'm with you in it all. He is one of them and he is one of us. This is Christianity. This is how we live. We live in the tension of patience between the power of heaven and the persecution on earth. And John lived there with us. He was exiled to Patmos, 40 to 50 miles offshore. Tradition tells us he was exiled there because they couldn't get rid of him otherwise. He would not die. Oh, man, that's funny. A little diehard shirt with John on there. That's funny. Okay. <laughs> Can't boil him, can't throw him off rocks. Anyway, uh, he wouldn't die. So they thought, well, he's, he's too influential, he's too successful, but he's not, he's not, he's not violent enough. So, we, you know, so they, they thought, well, let's exile him. This is what they did to criminals that, that, that were not violent. They said, well, let's exile him and that, get him out of the way. It, and if we exile him, it'll make, it'll make them ineffective and irrelevant. Whoops. Verse John's, speaking of being in exile, all by himself on an island. <laughs> Man, if you ever think that you're alone and God can't use you, get ready. Listen to what happened next. He says, I was, on the, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Ain't nobody else around but me and God, but we were still having a time. <laughs> I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write in a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then he names the seven churches, and we'll go on to talk about those. But this is the circumstance of, the, of, of John's encounter. He was in the Spirit, and we should not imagine that to be something rare or unusual, but, but this is a state of, of, of spiritual awareness and worship and communion that characterizes his, his life, and I think it should characterize ours. If it, that We can be in the Spirit on any day, but especially on the Lord's Day. And then he says, write what you see. Write it down to these seven churches. Now, here's where this is going to help us in our interpretation, especially in the next 
seven or eight weeks. These were seven major churches in Western Turkey. They were churches that followed a trade route or a, or a postal route. They were part of John's parish. As a bishop, he would have been responsible for these churches. His heart would have gone out to them. They would have wanted to hear what he had to say. And here's what we need to, to get, and we'll repeat this carefully in the weeks ahead, that what was written to each of these churches was read by all of these churches. What was written to each one was read by all of them. So that means that although each one might, may have had a good specific message, that everybody is supposed to be eavesdropping. Everybody's supposed, everybody's supposed to be listening to the principles that are contained in them. And so if all of those churches are supposed to be listening in to what he said to them churches, then this church needs to be listening in what he said to them churches. So we're going to listen and we're going to learn because that we are we are that, that this this these are timeless messages for every century and culture and country then i turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and having uh, and having turned i saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands i saw one like the son of man someone say in the midst in the midst of the lampstands. Oh, I can't wait to get there. In the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a golden sash. His, his, sorry, I, I, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, his, his, and girded across the chest with a golden sash, and his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and, the eye, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters and having in his right hand seven stars and a sharp two-edged sword which comes out of his mouth and his face was like the sun shining in its power. John turned and saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of them one like a son of man. John's vision of him and his depiction of him blends every regal and righteous and glorious image from the Old Testament. He is the he 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 bears both the appearance of the of the son of man and the ancient of days. As high priest, his robe reaches to his feet. As king, he wears the golden sash. His his white like snow Hair speaks of his dignity and his wisdom, his burning eyes of his omniscience, his piercing and perfect insight. Nothing escapes his view. And his feet were like polished, heated bronze that symbolizes authority and pure judgment. And his voice roared like a great waterfall or like the tides of the sea. And in his right hand, he held seven stars Mythology said that the, the stars guided fate and the stars were the gods in the sky, but John sees this guy holding the stars in his hand. And from his mouth, a two-edged sword, his very, this is his word, sharp and piercing. And then his face shone like the sun in its brilliance. Listen to this. His very countenance was too much to look upon. And then, verse 17, John says this. When I saw him, the one standing in the lampstands, just say that one more time, in the lampstands. 
that when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Let me just slow down. I saw him and I fell at his feet like a dead man. All of this was too much for John. This was not the first time that John had seen Jesus. John liked to fancy himself Jesus' best buddy. He'd seen Jesus. He ate with Jesus, walked with Jesus, hung out with Jesus. He'd seen seen Jesus do crazy stuff. He saw Jesus walk on water. He stayed in the boat. Peter. mm, mm. Blub, blub, ha, ha. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, John, and on the mountain. He saw Jesus transfigured, glowing white like a great big light bulb. He was there. Easter Sunday night, having fish and chips. Jesus walks in. Saw him there. He was there at the mountain when he says, when Jesus said, that's it. And he ascended. He saw all those things. But this one, this time, seeing this Jesus, John lost the capacity to remain conscious, let alone remain upright. This is the Jesus among the lampstands. John fell like a dead man. But then, he said, then Jesus placed his right hand on John. That same nail-pierced hand. That same hand that had had broke and multiplied bread and loaves, that had turned water into wine, that had imparted life to the dead, that had cleansed the leper. That hand now again rested upon John. And he heard that voice, familiar but now majestic. What did he hear? Do not be afraid again this is not something new for John he'd heard that voice before he heard those words before he heard Jesus say this to parents who were losing a child to grieving sisters who had lost a brother to frightened disciples in the midst of a storm and to anxious disciples fearing their future and now he hears it again in exile in persecution in chaos in loneliness and despair he hears do not be afraid why because i am do not be afraid why i am i am the first and the last he said the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. (laughs) Let all who read these words banish fear from their hearts and minds forever. The living one, the one who was first and last, Jesus, the one who died, he is still alive. He is still alive. He says to John, it's me, Jesus. I am. I am alive forevermore. And then I don't know how he said it, but I like to to imagine that he got a little closer and he leaned in. He leaned in and said, and I got the keys. 
This is the prevailing, supremely important message of this book. Jesus is Lord. Do not fear. He reigns. He is the victor. Therefore, we must not fear in this life. We must not yield to to the, the force of darkness in this world. We must not compromise with that which is unholy. We must be diligent and about the works of his kingdom. Jesus Christ is coming, and we should live like it. And then the last two verses. Jesus said, therefore, write these things which you have seen and which are, which are and, which, what, and what will take place. Write this down. And that's what we're going to listen to. We're going to listen to what he has to say to these churches in the weeks ahead. But before that, he says one more thing, one more reminder. Verse 20. As for the mystery. Now this is where the text will begin to re- repeat itself. There will be a metaphor or mystery and then a meaning. And there's this dance throughout the text. Sometimes the meaning isn't uh, overt, but here he makes it clear. And if I could ask us to let one giant truth rest and remain upon our hearts and minds this morning, let it be this. I pray the Holy Spirit press this upon us today. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, number one, he says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The seven stars in Jesus' hand, he said, are the angels of the seven churches. Go ahead and say angels out loud. If you're uncomfortable with that topic, you better get comfortable quick. Because this book is going to tell us that, that the host of heaven are about the business of heaven. And the first thing we hear is this, is that there are angels of, over, belonging to, assigned to churches. What are they doing? What are they for? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says, Are not angels ministering spirits send to render service for the sake of those who, are, who inherit salvation? The host of heaven are here. They are guardians. They are custodians. They are servants. They are working with us and for us for the purpose of Christ. And this is something that should reinforce our understanding that the church isn't ours. It's not our idea We are stewards, and we are not alone. And as wonderful as that is, the host of heaven are signed and are present here. There's something even more. The lampstands. He said, the lampstands are the churches. Remember, John saw one standing among the lampstands. The lampstands are the churches, he says. These lampstands, these these lamps, they would have been in John's mind, in his audience's mind, like the menorah the symbol of the temple and Israelite identity and worship. 
the symbol of the presence of the Spirit giving light and life. The menorah hosted the light. The light was supplied by the oil. And you are the church. You host this light. This light doesn't come from you. We are entirely dependent upon the Spirit of God for light and life. We are a people of the Spirit. They're His lampstands. His oil. We are His. And here's what we must press. Jesus is among us. He walks among the lampstands. Would you say he is among us? This should change, influence, affect, determine everything. Lord, I pray, I pray that this one truth would awe and whelm us today. That we are the lampstand of heaven on earth. Lord, help us to believe this and live like it. That Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one who loves us and has released us from our sins, this one who has made us a kingdom of priests, this one who belongs to whom belongs all glory and dominion forever, the one who is coming with the clouds, the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty, the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, the Living One, the one who holds the stars and holds the keys. He is among us. The King is in the room. <laughs> Come see the scars of love upon his head. The king is in the room. We'll watch the darkness flee at his command. The king is in the darkness flee in his cup. Oh, the king is in the room. The king is in the room. See the scars of love upon his hands. The king is in the room. We'll watch the darkness flee at him. 
toward the front but otherwise if you need to go I understand there's kids and stuff and all kinds of things if you must go go with a greater and more grateful awareness of the presence of Jesus know that you are profoundly loved by the King of Kings and we hope to see you tonight and at midweek God bless you have a good day the King is in the room The king is in the room Come see the scars of love upon his hands The king is in the room We'll watch the darkness flee at his command this king who is this king his name is Jesus his name is Jesus light of the world there's freedom in this place awesome in power reigning forever light of No soul beyond the boundaries of His grace. There's resurrection power in His name. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Light of the world. There's freedom in His Awesome in power, reigning forever, light of the world. 
There's freedom in His name. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Light of the world. There's freedom in His name. Awesome in There's freedom in His name.